God, what an awesome picture of how creation worships you in every part. And the personal nature of a God that, that pursues and looks for us and continues to pursue us. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you will speak to us today through creation and that we could worship you as the creation has worshiped you. God, that we would be transformed today because we've been here. Father, we thank you that you love us unconditionally and that your desire for us is to have a relationship with you. And I just pray that you'll speak that truth today to each and every one of us. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you will take the living word of God and change our lives today. Don't just inform our minds, but transform our hearts because we know that this word is alive and living and it changes us. So change us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Wow, what a song. So will I. I know it's new, but uh, as we get to know it more, you'll feel more comfortable with that song. A declaration of how all creation, the entire universe, praises God. We are at war, and we're in the middle of a series entitled Invisible, Spiritual Warfare. It appears to be political wars, wars of ideas, culture wars, value wars, wars over traditional marriage or abortion or women's rights or sexual identity or socialism versus capitalism, immigration, gun rights. I can go on and on. And even though this warfare works its way out in the realm of ideas, politics, values, and rights, the real battle is invisible. It's invisible. It's the invisible war, a spiritual war. There is a war and we have an opponent called the devil or Satan. Now we know that God is all powerful and God is sovereign, but Satan obviously has an influence and powerful presence in our world. What does God allow Satan to do? What are the indications of spiritual attack? In other words, how do we know it's the devil who's responsible? And what are our weapons of warfare? These are questions I'm hoping to answer as we go through this series. What do we have in our arsenal to fight the heavenly realm? Some people deny that Satan has any power or they try to minimize his, his role in history and the affairs of people. And the Bible does indeed teach us to worship God, but it also tells us to be aware of Satan. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour you. And Ephesians 6.12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Over the last three Sundays, we've looked at be aware, not alarmed, we looked at the three battlegrounds two weeks ago, the mind, the heart, and the mouth. That's where the battle rages, in the minds and hearts and mouths of people. And last Sunday, we looked at spiritual authority, lost, 
and restored. Spiritual authority that was given to people or to mankind. And then it was lost by the people in the Garden of Eden by sin. Then the spiritual authority was restored when Jesus came. He died. He descended into hell. He was resurrected and ascended into heaven. And now he's seated at the right hand of God. And he has all authority in the universe. Jesus has all the authority in the universe. And then God, the Holy Spirit, was sent to live in you and me. And this is where it gets exciting and mysterious. In 1 John 4, 4, it says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. So the one that is in you, the Holy Spirit of God in you is greater, stronger, more powerful than the one that's out there. And he's in you. If you have Jesus Christ in your life, you've asked him to come into your life, filled with the Holy Spirit, that power is resident in you. At the end of the sermon, there are notes at the back if you want to take those. And also, if you're listening online uh, today and you want to receive those notes, email the church office. It's office at ecwesleyan.net. And you can uh, ask for those notes to be emailed or sent to you as well. Today, five parts to a winning strategy. Five parts to a winning strategy. Five steps we can take to win over Satan. We're going to be talking about, we have, we have this message and two more talking about the power that we have been endued with, but today we're going to talk about five parts of that. I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, and it's uh, chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and... Uh, this is the first part. Of, it's on page 358 in the Bible in the rack in front of you if you want to follow along on that. Uh, it'll also be on the PowerPoint above. Second Chronicles 20. Uh, and we're going to read 1 through 6 and then 12 to 22. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Menuhites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a king of Judah. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom and from the other side of the sea. It is already at Hazazon Tamar. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the courtyard said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms and all the nations of the world. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. In verse 12, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and the little ones stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, a Levite, descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them, and they will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerel. 
You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow. The Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, this is the key, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. They were defeated. In Old Testament times, Satan was continually at war with Israel, the seed of the woman that we talked about at the very beginning of the message last Sunday, attempting to destroy or corrupt these people. His first strategy was to corrupt them by persuading them to forsake the one true God, to worship false gods. Then he was also trying to destroy them. Why? Because Satan knew that the Messiah, someday the Messiah, was going to come through this nation Israel, this people of God, and it was through him all people would be saved. And if he could corrupt Israel, or if he could destroy Israel, he could thwart God's plan. And in this passage, we find that Satan incited the Moabites, the Ammonites, and Menuhites to make war. Satan, in a spiritual battle, using the physical realm, decided to fight a war and try to destroy this nation of Israel. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, first calls a fast. He called the people of the entire nation to pray and to seek God's help, recognizing the spiritual nature of the war. This was a spiritual battle. And they fasted and they prayed. Now, we don't have time to go into depth, but suffice it to say, they saw that this battle was impossible in the physical realm for them to win, in their own strength. And in verse 12, they said, we have no power to face this army we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's something you need to come to the conclusion of many times. We don't know what to do, so our eyes are on you. Eyes on God. That is where God wants us to start. He wants us to start there. Surrounded by evil, circumstances we can't face, whether it's an individual or a family or a nation, wants us to realize that we're surrounded by all this and we don't know what to do, so we have to turn our eyes to God. That's the first pot, part. We say to God, I don't have the power to face this. I don't know what to do, so my eyes are on you. I'm looking to you. So what is God's answer? Verse 17, it says, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. What was the strategy? What was the strategy? First strategy that we have in fighting the enemy Number one, praise and worship. Praise and worship. It says, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and give praise to him for the splendor of his holiness. And went out and said, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. One of the most amazing stories. Jehoshaphat and Judah surrounded by a huge army in front of his army. And he sends out in front of the army his worship team. His worship team. 
Scott and Amelia, Karen, Jesse, Randy, Judy, Sheila, and Chris. They're out in front of the battle. You got this. All right. He's got it. Say, what is he thinking? What is he thinking? Why praise God in the middle of a battle? I want to talk for a minute about praise. What is, what is praise? In Psalm 148, we discover a lot of what this song that we just sang talked about. Psalm 148 says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from... From the heavens, praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Praise him. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Praise. One, Psalm 149, verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the saints. And Psalm 150, some of you may have memorized this. You may know it. Praise the Lord. Praise the God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre and the guitar and the drums. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and the flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. All of nature, all of creation is to praise. The angels praise God. All people are to praise God. Everything that has breath is to praise God. Everything that breathes. The primary way for the Jewish people to worship was through corporate praise, through music and through worship. Music and song. Loud music, dancing, clapping, raising hands in the air. I know we're culturally not comfortable with all of those things, but they're all biblical. Raising hands, clapping, singing loudly, dancing before the Lord. Now, some of us are a little too Scandinavian to do some of that, but you know, dancing before the Lord. God, they did that in, the, in Hebrew days. Revelation 4.8. There are some passages of Scripture in the book of Revelation. Revelation 4 talks about praise. And this is what's happening in the heavens. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, day and night, holy, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Day and night, they never stop praising God. Revelation 5 says, When I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and praise and glory. Heaven on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, singing to him who sits on the throne to the Lamb to praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. We find all through scriptures that praise is primary for people and praise is primary for angels, and it's going on continually 
day and night around the throne. Now, whatever they do in heaven should be priority on earth, okay? Whatever's happening up there, we should make it priority here. Praise. Now, what is praise? Sometimes we have a hard time defining praise. It's like, I, I don't know, what is praise? Well, when I praise my children, I praise them for their characteristics. You're really smart. You're compassionate. You're beautiful. You're gifted. You're sensitive. You're caring. There are certain things I, character, characteristics I praise about my children. Or we praise our children. We say, you sing so well. You're a great athlete. You're an accomplished musician. You're a great cook. Or no one can create a sweater like that or, or sew like that. You know, you can put all kinds of things in that accomplishment. Or, or, or in, that, in the abilities and accomplishments. That was an incredible piano recital. Great job in your school assignment. What an incredible basketball game or soccer game or track meet or race, whatever. Um, we can praise people, especially children, because it comes more naturally. And we understand praise better with our children or others. But with God, it's the same. How do we praise him? Praise him, first of all, for his characteristics. Think about the character qualities of God. God, you are awesome, you are beautiful, you are powerful, you are creative, you are patient. I praise you for your mercy, for your grace, for your love. Look at creation and you just look at those things around and just praise God for who he is, characteristics. And then his abilities, whether praising him for his power, his sovereignty, his holiness. And then his accomplishments. I praise you for what you've done. You created this incredible world. He created my family, my parents, my spouse, my children. And when we praise God, we actually tell him. Verbally proclaim your praise for God. Express it. Now let me say something. Praise must be expressed in order to exist. Praise must be expressed in order to exist. It has to be spoken. It has to be expressed. Now, don't confuse praise with thanksgiving. Common thing. Thanksgiving literally tends to be more me-centered. Thank you for what you've done for me. What you've done for me. Thanksgiving is, yeah, we thank him. We were to, we're to enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. Thanksgiving tends to be me-centered. The greatest characteristic of praise is that it decentralizes self. Praise looks outward to God. It's God-centered. Praise moves the center from ourselves to God. That's why every Sunday I encourage all of us to leave our past behind. Forget about what's happened this week. Just leave that aside and let's concentrate on God as we come together. Focus on God. Bilheimer writes, it's the Highest function of the angels is praise. It follows that the highest function of the human spirit must also be to praise God. Praise God. Why was praise so effective in this battle that we just looked at this text? Because this battle was a battle in reality between unseen spirits. Satan was trying to destroy God's people. He had incited these nations as an instrument in the physical realm to accomplish his purposes. But as we've seen, the battle is not in the flesh and blood, nor the physical realm, but the perpetrators behind the physical realm, Satan and his demons. And those enemy armies were animated by the evil spirits, and when praise erupted, when praise erupted, 
The evil spirits became confused, disoriented, confounded, deranged. They fell into insane, hysterical, uncontrollable panic. They panicked. In verse 23, it says, As they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent ambushes against them. It says, The men of Ammon were defeated, and they rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped destroy one another. Amazing. They destroyed one another. Why did that happen? Because the praise of God released the power of God. God dwells where people praise him. When we worship God in praise and thanksgiving, the enemy has to flee. Now, how does that work? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Why, why does that happen? When we praise God, that what we do know is that it works. And Satan is allergic to praise. He cannot stay in the presence of people who are praising his enemy, God. And when we worship God, we express trust, thankfulness, and praise. Then the battle becomes God's battle. And Satan has to flee. Praise. Praising God. Why do we spend a large part of our Sunday service in praise and and worship. Why do we come here and praise God? Because we're in a spiritual battle in Eau Claire. We're surrounded by the enemy, and, and there's really no power on our own. We don't know what to do, how to win, so we praise God. Then the battle becomes his battle. Sometimes people say, how come we don't do special music? How come we don't do special? Well, there's nothing wrong with special music in a service. But special music is kind of, oh, I, that blessed me so much. Well, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about praising God. This isn't about us. When we come together, you know, one of the things we just, we keep thinking that the church is about us. It's this consumer mentality. The church is about me. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God, coming to praise God. And when we do that, we praise God. We establish a beachhead of praise. We establish a beachhead. If you, if you saw the D-Day invasion celebration last month, what needed to happen before the troops could go onto the thing, we, we, onto, onto shore? The, they, they had to establish a beachhead, establish a position to ferry supplies, arms, and weapons. And when we praise God, we establish a beachhead that place of entry that God can come and work, not only in our community here, but out in the community there. We establish a beachhead of praise, and I'd say, you know what? Don't only establish a beachhead here on Sunday morning, establish a beachhead of praise at home, at school, at work, so you're constantly praising God, because when you praise God, you establish that entry point for the Spirit of God to come in and make a difference. We are here to praise God and to hear from his word. Now, minus the word of God, I have nothing to say. Minus the word of God, I have nothing to say. And minus the presence of God, we have no reason to meet. Minus the presence of God, we have no reason to meet. Because we're here to meet with the living God. That's why he is the center. Jesus is the center. We praise him. Praise God. Do we want to win? Do you want to win? 
Praise God. If you're breathing, praise God. Okay, and I hope everybody's everybody breathing. Just checking. Okay, so praise, a huge, huge, huge thing in our life. And you don't have to come to church to praise God. You can praise God anywhere, verbally or in your heart, spirit, whatever it is. Number two, what is our Overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 20 to 21 says, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, Satan lives for revenge. And revenge is glorified in everything from movies to books and whatever you see it. Everybody likes revenge. Satan lives for revenge. He wants to destroy all of God's goodness. He calls good evil and evil good. He promotes fear instead of faith, lust instead of purity, pride, not humility, greed, not generosity, dishonor instead of honor. It's always the opposite. He's always promoting the opposite. Homosexuality replaces heterosexuality. Perversion replaces normalcy. Death replaces life. And darkness replaces light. Now, in order to counter darkness, all we have to do is be light. You have to be light. I've never been able to go into a lighted room and turn on the dark switch. I've never been able to go into a, a, into a lighted room, turn on the dark switch, and it goes out. No. But every day I enter a dark room and turn on the light switch. The light switch, overcoming evil. Good overcomes evil. Fear chased, chased away by faith. Lust is replaced by purity. Lies replaced by truth. Greed replaced by generosity. Dishonor replaced by honor. Darkness replaced by light. Just be, just be the light. It's not a passive thing, it's, it's being. It's who we are. Be the light. One of Satan's strategies for our country is the concept of separation of church and state, okay? We want to remove the light from the public square. Silence the voices, silence the influencers, separation of church and state. And, and that, that phrase does not appear anywhere, okay? It's a very inaccurate representation of our Constitution. Actually, the Constitution prohibits the government from establishing a state church or state religion. See, the founders of this country came from Europe, and the Euro Europeans established state religions, and if you were not part of that state church, you were persecuted, marginalized, and, and even killed for your faith. In Britain, it was the Anglican church. In France, it was the Catholic church. And the First Amendment was written, our founders came, the First Amendment was written. It wasn't written to remove God from all functions of government or the public square. It was to protect the right of people to freely exercise their religion absent interference by the government. So when you hear this thing, separation of church and state, it's never been part of the constitution of this country. But if we can do that, we can get the light out of the darkness. And so there's no influence. And people, people say all the time, that's why these, these issues that, 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 that are public policy issues that are affecting families and affecting educational institutions, affecting all the political laws, everything that we do. They, they say, all, they, all people have to do is they label a moral issue political, and pastors and churches run away and say, well, we can't do anything with that because we're not political, we're apolitical. 
No, we're, we're moral. We, we have to uphold right and righteousness. There's no such thing as separation of church and state in our Constitution. There is in Russia. There's not here. Satan knows that if he can just remove the light, he can hide it. His darkness. Our nation was founded on Judeo-Christian principles and by many Christians. In fact, let me tell you, if you look at the history of our country, you find that many of those that fought in the Revolutionary War, many of the soldier leaders were pastors leading their congregations to fight for their, their freedoms because they believed that this nation was one nation under God and they fought for it. And there is nothing, there's no other nation that has ever been like America. American exceptionalism is real. Now, are we perfect? Absolutely not. We've had all kinds of issues in the past. You know, and you know, we, we float racism and slavery and all kinds of things that we've dealt with as a nation because we're still people. But God has spread the gospel to more places through this nation than any other nation in the history. There's more wealth and more honor and anything created through this nation than any other nation on earth in the history. 243 years ago. Most nations don't have a constitution that lasts more than 50, 60 years. Our constitution has been there 243 years. God has preserved us. Now, forces are all over trying to destroy truth, righteousness, morality, Order, laws, everything else. So lawlessness is rampant. And we need to pray. But the battle is in the heavenlies. It doesn't mean we don't get involved in public policy. Vote, run for office, get involved. Because your moral values, Christian moral values, are where this country was founded. And we must stay engaged so that good can overcome evil. Most of that's not in my notes. I don't know where that came from. The church still comes across as, <clears throat> as against a lot of things. That's one of the challenges. The question is, what are we for? What are we for? What are the positive actions? Telling people and living out the life-changing love and the power of Jesus Christ. And honestly, we're not going to change Eau Claire, this nation, by fighting evil. It's not going to... Evil is not to be fought. We'll change Eau Claire when people embrace the love and power of Jesus Christ. Overcoming evil with good. With good. Doesn't relieve us of the responsibility to be engaged in public policy. But overcoming evil with good. Third strategy. Third strategy. Obedience and resistance, number three. Obedience and resistance. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God means just say yes. Who, who's in charge of your life? Who runs things? Who's in charge, you or God? That's, you know, that's, that's a daily struggle. Is it? Probably. Is it a minute by minute battle? Probably. Because I like to be in charge. You like to be in charge. We don't. You know, we want to run our own life. That's part of who we are. And we can never have victory in the spiritual realm if we're in rebellion against God. In other words, if I'm trying to run my own life. 
It's submission to God. Just say yes. In Philippians 4.8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This has to do with the mind. Is our mind in submission to God? Philippians 4.8. And then Philippians 2, 2 to 4. Philippians 2 basically talks about the heart, which is the second part. Then make my joy complete by, having, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Heart, actions, and attitudes. Is our heart in submission to God? And then Colossians 3, verse 8. Colossians 3, 8 says this, but now you must rid yourselves of all things such as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips, speech in our mouth. Our, is our mind, is our heart, is our mouths in submission to God? That's saying yes. So submit to God. Secondly, resist the, resist the devil, letter B. Just say no. Obedience to God is just say yes. Resist the devil is just saying no. Saying no to what? Temptation. Any actions against God's character. Resist. The interesting thing about this passage, it says resist the devil and he will flee. Resist is not a fighting term. It's just a resistance. Resist the devil and it says he will flee. He'll run. Just resist, he will flee. A fourth strategy in spiritual warfare, number four, how do we win, is giving, giving. Malachi 3, 10 to 11 says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines of your field will not cast their fruit, says the Lord. Dean Sherman writes, Satan is interested in finances. He knows that the selfishness of man is inflamed by money. According to the Bible, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And this love of money affects every area of human existence. Greed is the very foundation of Satan's economic schemes. Therefore, the greatest weapon against this foundation is, giving, is a giving heart. When we give, when people give, it totally frustrates Satan's attempts to influence people towards selfishness. Giving is contagious, undoing the work of the devil far beyond the act of a single giver. Giving initiates a cycle which can influence many. I have a whole passage, a message on this, as, as you may know. Um, tithe basically means 10%. Jesus advocated the 10% tithe. It's not just Old Testament. Now, the principle in the New Testament is grace. So, so we can actually we get to give more than 10%. That's the New Testament, just so you know. So you do that. And it talks about the storehouse, which is where you're being fed, the local church. And I don't have time to go into all of that um, at that point in, in time. But the key concept relating to spiritual warfare is 
If 10% or tithe belongs to God, if I don't give it to him, the Bible says I'm robbing God. If I'm robbing God, I'm in rebellion. How can I reap the blessings of God if I'm robbing God? That's a huge question. Giving to God. If we're robbing God, we're in rebellion. If we do give, not only will God bless us beyond measure, but verse 11 says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and your vines and your fields from not cast the fruit. One says rebuke the devourer. What does it mean? We don't live in an agrarian culture mostly today. We have some that do farming here or rent out their properties, but basically what is he saying? He's saying God will prevent financial ruin. If we rob God, we're under a curse. If we give, we'll be under God's blessing. And that's personally and corporately as a church. Corporately, Satan can take our personal acts of robbing God and hold back God's kingdom. My personal acts can hold back, my disobedience can hold back the growth of God's kingdom here at Eau Claire Wesleyan Church. How, how has the U.S. shut down ISIS and Iran's terrorism? By freezing their bank, bank accounts or confiscating assets. How does Satan keep us as a church from going forward? He freezes our assets by divesting or robbing God of what belongs to him. See, this is serious stuff. When we're talking about spiritual warfare, we are all called to give generously. Generously. And we're to give to many things, missions and other things, but don't divert from the storehouse, which is our local church. It's God's work. Giving. And then the fifth strategy to win spiritual warfare is number five is serving. Serving. Ephesians 5. Um, Ephesians 4, I'm sorry. Ephesians 4, 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some as prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And it goes on in talking about how we're all an important part of the body and being put together. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, we looked at this in, in, in depth when we went through 1 Corinthians it says there are different kinds of gifts, the same spirit, different kinds of service, same Lord, different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. To each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. All these are the one of the work of the one and same spirit. He gives to them each one as he determines. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though it's all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. What is this saying? Basically saying. Everybody has something to contribute. Some, pe some people would say, I don't have spiritual maturity or the ability to get involved in spiritual warfare. That's not true. We all have something. We can all get involved. And when we contribute to the health of a body, the church, by exercising our body part, parts, our gifts, whatever that is, we keep this body healthy. The, the best way to keep something healthy is to make sure all parts are functioning properly. If you do something, you injure your knee, it's not functioning properly, it's, it's, you're not going to be very healthy. If your kidneys don't work well, something's going to go. It, it's hard. It's hard to stay healthy when 
one or more of our body parts aren't functioning properly. And it's no accident that you are part of this body. And you can help in the health of this body so that we can go forward and be spiritually strong. Strong. This fall, we're going to again offer a gifts discovery seminar because some people don't know what their gifts are. That's, that's okay. That's my job to help you find that. That's what leadership does. So there are five parts, and we went through this very quickly. Five parts to a winning strategy. Praise and worship, overcoming evil with good, obedience and resistance, giving, and serving. It's not exhaustive, but it's a, it's a good start. Invisible. Series of spiritual warfare. We have two more in this series. We're going to finish in the month of August. You're going to have to wait. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us strategies in order to win, that you want us to be strong, you want us to be victorious. And I pray, Lord Jesus, today that you would continue in our lives. Help us to understand that we are made to be victorious. And God, I just pray that you, by your grace and by your strength, would help us to be a strong people. And that, that we would engage in the spiritual warfare in whatever way, in whatever place we've been given. And we know, Lord Jesus, that, that we will win. In Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we?